Welcome back to Creative Health Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Carolyn Myrie LaShawn Forsyth. Carolyn's 17 year track record of success as a detail focused senior producer and arts manager has been gained in roles within theatre, young people's work, outdoor and site specific shows, UK and international touring and festivals. Amongst her numerous roles, in 2005, Carolyn was part of the leadership team responsible for launching the first purpose built children's theatre building in the UK, the Unicorn Theatre. Under her tenure, the theatre was nominated for the Most Welcoming Theatre Award. Carolyn was also recognised by Action for Children Arts for her contribution to the theatre for young audiences sector in the UK. Carolyn is a passionate advocate of racial and social justice. She is currently Executive Director and Joint CEO of Talawa, the UK's outstanding black theatre company and a co-opted member of the UK Theatre Board. Carolyn and I discuss her career path in theatre, why theatre and the arts are important for children and young people, and why creativity is important in all professions. We share our own creative hobbies and about learning from our grandmothers, and we also discuss the extraordinary work of Talawa Theatre Company, providing opportunities for black and global majority people in theatre, and why we need storytelling and drama to raise important, challenging issues about the black experience in Britain, as well as expressing joy and happiness. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Carolyn. Welcome to Creative Health Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Laura. Hello. (laughs) Very good indeed. It's really good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. So you've had quite a varied career, Carolyn, having done my research on you in producing and managing mainly theatre. Can you tell us how it all started for you? What drew you into the world of theatre? It was actually volunteering. I went to the University of Gloucestershire and my tutor at the time said that they were looking for volunteers for the Cheltenham Literature Festival and I thought that would be fun and I volunteered for the length of the festival and I I just kind of fell in love with this kind of strange thing that I was doing here as like selling tickets and meeting and talking to people Um, My degree was in leisure management and sports science, hospitality, tourism. So really, although there's a cursory connection, it wasn't originally what I was planning to do as my career. So it really changed my focus in terms of what I thought I could do. And my course was a four year course and it was it was called a thick sandwich course, which meant you would do an industry placement in your third Mm -hmm. year. And that's when I decided off the back of my experience at Cheltenham Literature Festival that I would do my placement in a theatre for a year rather than like a leisure centre, because originally I wanted to be a, a, a to go into sports science. Oh, OK. That's really interesting. And so what was the placement? It was at the Young Vic Theatre. So in my naivety of youth, I wrote off to kind of various theatre organisations going, would you take me for a year? And there was three that responded, uh, BAC, Young Vic, and what was the Tricycle, which is now the Kiln, were the three organisations that responded out of the ridiculous number that I wrote to. But what three amazing 
places to choose from. So what made you choose the Young Vic? Well, they wanted to meet me and they wanted to talk to me and they wanted to ask me what I wanted to do. And they seemed interested and engaged. And also, again, incredibly naively, not really understanding the reputation of Young Vic, just going, yes, this would be great to, to do it here. And I wanted to work in front of house and operations. Uh, that's where my interest lay. I, I always wanted to do something that was customer facing. Mm-hmm. And so you spent a year there in your sandwich year and then went back to university, finished your degree. And then what was the next step after that? So when I went back, I in my last year of my degree, I actually worked at the Everyman Theatre in Cheltenham. So I was trying to build up some work experience in theatre. I then applied at the Young Vic for an assistant theatre manager position and I, I got the job. So I, I was I was unemployed for about a month. I didn't even get a benefit or a dole check. Um <laughs> it was what we used to call it back yeah. in the day before I'd already got a job, which was great. And going to work back at the Young Vic, who I'd had an ex- amazing experience with the year before that, was just great for me. Amazing. I mean, wow, that you don't hear such a smooth, plain sailing sort of transition that often. I think sometimes, especially I think in this industry, often it's a real struggle to get in. I, th- I think... The time that I joined theatre was kind of like a a bit of a golden age because there was work going. The sector, it felt like it was opening up. And I also wasn't afraid of trying new things. So, you know, as I said, it was a bit of naivety, a little bit of kind of, well, what's the worst that can happen? Someone says no. Um, And I just was like, well, I'm going to try to work in this sector. But it was a... I have to say it was a steep learning curve, kind of understanding how the sector works, because it isn't really like other sectors. No. And I think also not something that you can learn in a classroom fully. You know, there is a lot of learning on the job, isn't there? And kind of just chucking yourself in the deep end. But well done you. I mean, that's a very positive, gutsy attitude that you had from quite early on. It's obviously done you well. Yes. <laughs> I've never been afraid to take risks or to try something new. And, you know, if you try something new and you don't like it, then you know you don't like it and you can try something else. I love that. That's such a good attitude. So let's move on to your work with Unicorn Theatre. So you were involved with the launch of the Unicorn Theatre, which was the first purpose-built children's theatre in the UK. So just tell us about that and why you think theatre is important to children's lives and why it was important to have a purpose-built building for children. I joined the Unicorn Theatre six months before it was due to open as their theatre manager. Uh, Historically before that, the Unicorn had been at the Arts Theatre and then it moved to Chillingworth Road and it had basically been operating as a touring theatre company. So this was an opportunity for them to be building based, which means they needed positions that they never needed before. And I was really interested in opening a new theatre building and, and what that experience would be like from an operational point of view. As the theatre manager, I was responsible for the back of house areas uh, around kind of stage doors, so kind of safety critical uh, positions, and then the front of house 
areas, which are basically the public areas where the audiences would come in. Mm-hmm. I always had an interest in young people and working with young people. And the unicorn gave me the opportunity to be able to get more experience in that practice. And for me, the reason why young people's theatre is so important is usually that is young people's first kind of creative professional experience of seeing that you can do something creative for a living. Mm. So they see people on stage telling them stories and potentially this may be something that that kind of triggers a response in a young person to go, this is something that I want to do. And then for me, it's, it's almost like a gateway into this whole other world that exists. But ultimately, creativity is so important to children's development, imagination, the ability to kind of creatively think of your next steps. Some of the greatest minds that the history of this world have absolutely been based in creativity. And I find it quite tricky with the current climate when people are trying to separate creativity from like the core subjects. Mm. I think they're all interlinked and creativity is linked to emotional intelligence. It's linked to resilience. These are all really important attributes that young people need to to grow into kind of healthy young adults. And also, I think it's important that theatre is created for young people, for them at that moment in their life. It isn't about creating the future audiences of theatre. They may end up being that but it's actually acknowledging that their experiences now are valid and showing them on stage. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you touched on how creative subjects are being separated out. And in fact, that was one of my questions that I wanted to ask you about, because we know that drama and performing arts and other creative subjects are being stripped out of the school curriculum What do you think the consequences of that are on young people in taking away those opportunities from a young age? I think we have to be very clear. These opportunities have been taken away from children who are in state schools. Mm. Not if you're in private education. If you're in private education, you're getting all of that because the parents that are paying for that know the value of it. Mm. So for me, we already know as a society the value of it. The, the pandemic showed quite clearly what the value of it was. When we were locked down in our houses, that was our only connection to the outer world was through art, whether you were experiencing it through your TV or your computer or through your PlayStation. It, it doesn't matter. That was all of those people who create kind of video games, who create film and TV and radio they're all in the creative sector. They're all creative subjects that allow people to have those skills. So to deny our young people the option to either experience those subjects or to actually be able to step into that career, to me, is is an absolute travesty. It means that the sectors that get the benefit of fresh blood coming into their industry are only getting a certain type of young person that comes to them. Mm. And we're missing all the wonderful diversity that exists within the UK. Which, you know, that in itself is a problem still widely in the creative sector 
anyway, isn't it? So yes, I think that this situation is only going to exacerbate that. And for me, it's twofold. And I think you've alluded to this already. It's the ability that creativity and drama and all the other art forms have in developing confidence in young people, helping them to express themselves, making sense of their world, supporting their well-being. And like you said, we're then not churning out a broad range of young people who will take up jobs in the creative sector, which, as we know, is the kind of biggest growing sector in the UK. And it's what we're really good at in this country. So there's going to be this gap, isn't there? Skills gap. And also not every child wants to necessarily be a scientist or a mathematician. There are certainly children that are more geared towards creativity or that's more where their interest lies. And this kind of devaluing of these subjects, I I don't think helps us at all. And I think you're absolutely right, Laura, that this is a sector that is thriving, that is actually exportable to the rest of the world, that we're known for. Why would we limit ourselves in these ways? And as I said before, you know, kids who are privately educated are still getting the benefit of this. It's only the state educated children that are are being deprived of this. And to me, that connects into the fact that we have a cabinet that's the highest level of people that have gone to private education. To me, their kids are going to get the benefit. But why shouldn't the friends of my children, Mm. like my, my friend's children, not have the benefit of of what they would get in a private education but just because they go to a state school they're not going to get the same thing. It's really disappointing and it's so short-sighted really isn't it of government because you need creative thinking and creativity in all areas of work and in all subjects. If you're an engineer or a scientist or a mathematician like that requires creativity. So it's not just about being an actor or a singer or a dancer. It's actually about creative thinking and creative expression and critical thinking, isn't it? Which, which drama enables? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. As I said before earlier, the idea that, that these things are not connected, it's not true. They are connected. Some of the, some of the greatest minds of our generation and before the only way they could make those leaps of, of logic was by being creative and considering the what if question. It, you know, what if it was like this? Mm. In some instances, the science that they were trying to figure out didn't even exist. So they really were having to, to think outside of the box. And that does come from creative thinking, emotional in- intelligence and and the ability to kind of hypothesize which is is definitely I think a creative attribute yeah absolutely okay so what happened after unicorn theater then did you continue in children's theater for a while before you joined Talawa I was actually working for Lyft which is London International Festival of Theater which does a festival every two years and I was working there as a senior producer so I was working with international artists supporting them coming into the UK to show their work. I was also very privileged to look after a tour by Lola Arias called Minefield, which was about the Falklands conflict 
an amazing documentary theatre piece that was created with three veterans from Argentina and three from the UK talking about their experiences of being in war together. That show is still talking. Wow. And it it is, the Falklands itself is the last war that we fought where they used trenches. And the veterans now often are in their kind of 50s and 60s. And it was, it, it had a really bad impact on both soldiers that were in the conflict. And what was beautiful about this project is that they're now all very good friends, even though they were literally on the opposite side of this conflict. And one of the, the Argentinian guys, his best friend died in that conflict. So it shows the power of theatre that you can literally bring people together. And they performed that show in Argentina and literally had kind of mothers of soldiers that had died in the conflict coming up onto stage and hugging people who were originally their enemies and thanking them for talking about this experience. So it's been a very cathartic and kind of healing process. Shows the power of theatre, I feel. I, it's just exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that's such a powerful story. And it really shows how theatre and drama and writing and literature and all of those things can help cross divides and, like you said, have a really therapeutic effect on people and not just the people who are taking part, but the people who are watching as well. So really wonderful. Sounds like a wonderful piece of work. It was an amazing piece of work. And, it, and if it hopefully comes back to the UK at some point, I hope that people will go and see it. I think the beauty of theatre and performing arts is ultimately it's about telling stories. And throughout history, that's how humanity has related to each other. How we know about ancient civilizations is about the stories that they left behind, mm. the culture that they left behind. And it is about people relating to people. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful and so profound. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So let's move on to your work with Talua then. So you've been the executive director and joint CEO of Talua, the UK's outstanding black theatre company, I believe since 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, I did join in the pandemic year because, as I said, I like a challenge. <laughs> really difficult time to start a new job. Absolutely. How was that? Um tricky uh it was Michael uh, Buffon who's the artistic director by the time I joined the company full-time I'd met him four times in person and the team I met once and then we were in our second lockdown and we were basically managing the team online mm. the Talawa team did not go on furlough so we worked through the entirety of the pandemic period and we did a lot of kind of digital work, radio work, right. as a way of kind of communicating with our audiences and also with our with our artists. So we did a lot of what we call Talawa cafes, which were various kind of workshops with producers and writers and directors and fundraisers and, and all sorts, just trying to keep those connections going because it was a very, very lonely time for a lot of people. And certainly artists who more often than not a freelance. For some of them, it was the work just kind of dropped off the edge of a cliff and they were kind of stuck for months not doing anything, which I know from a lot of my artist friends was just 
horrific. Mm. Yeah, terrible time for the creative sector. But yet, as you said earlier, it was also a time where we all realised how much we needed art and creativity in our lives. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking very much about formalised art and formalised culture, but there's all the other things that are wrapped around in culture, you know, the kind of arts and crafts, all of those kinds of elements that aren't necessarily about putting things on stage, but are are absolutely part of our kind of creative network and the, the things of how we kind of creatively have an output. So I sew. Do you? I do. I do. I started sewing in uh, January 2022. I go to local classes in Strood. A wonderful woman called Naomi runs um, Sew in Kent and she basically taught me how to sew in a machine and I've made fabulous garments and recycled garments and all kinds of things. And that's all part of me wanting to be creative, but it isn't about me performing on stage. So creativity comes in many forms. Absolutely. And that's what this podcast is all about. It is about the formal, more kind of structured creative output, if you like. But it is also about what people can do in their day to day lives that doesn't cost a huge amount of money, where resources, you know, might be fairly available for people to just do something creative, which makes them feel good on a day to day basis, gives them a sense of satisfaction allows them to meet other people you know and connect with other people who have similar ideas and similar interests so I love that you do sewing I really love that I have tried sewing a few times in my life I have a sewing machine (laughs) but it's in the loft at the moment (laughs) well I did through the lockdown the first lockdown I was doing a lot of kind of cross stitching patterns and and all sorts I really feel that creativity is about feeding the soul and your mind and allowing you to let go of your stress or let go of your day-to-day troubles and think about something else I think creativity or or sometimes people call it having a hobby yes (laughs) so there are those of us who who have turned our hobby into a career but but there's also just doing something in your free time that that allows you to be creative that I think is also just as valuable yeah absolutely I was for a couple of years going to a ceramics class and I'd never done anything to do with pottery or clay in my life and I was one of those people who got told at school that they weren't very good at art I did do drama but I was told I wasn't allowed to take art GCSE because essentially I couldn't draw still life I did then think for many years that I wasn't really creative but I went as I said I've tried sewing I've joined choirs over the years and things like that but my latest outing is to do ceramics and I've really enjoyed it I've paused it for the moment because I'm focusing on getting this podcast up and running but I just love that I take two hours a week out and I just forget about everything else and I just focus on this thing that I'm making and it's I guess it's like mindfulness isn't it being in that moment I have to try and suspend my perfectionism and not worry about whether things go wrong or it doesn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out um, which is a personal thing for me but it's wonderful isn't it I mean I really wish that everybody could find something like that that they don't have to be really spectacular at it's just about the process more than the creative output at the end isn't it 
I think this is the joy of creativity and actually sport as well, that sometimes it's just about the taking part is enough to kind of feel the soul. And and actually, I think you've talked about an interesting thing about perfectionism. I think sometimes we get so caught up on everything being perfect that we forget that making errors is part of learning, is part of the process, is part of getting better as humans is that sometimes we make mistakes and that learning from those mistakes is part of our process of growing. Um, and, and certainly, you know, in sewing, that's why they invented an unpicker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you make a mistake, you can just go back and, and unpick it. Uh, yeah. And the amount of times Naomi looked at my and went, well, Carolyn, you could redo that. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. Okay. Uh, go back and unpick it and try again. It's so true. My grandmother, my paternal grandmother was a seamstress. She worked in the factories in Manchester uh, making clothing. And so I think my tiny bit of interest and when I have made something successfully in the past I think I'm channeling my grandmother and her talent she was incredible it's always about grandmothers my my nana is where I got my interest in crafting from and um, she was an astonishing seamstress and knitter and I've still got garments in my wardrobe that she made for me and little cross stitch things that she made for me that are hanging up on uh. my wall and her sewing machine is the sewing machine she bought just before she passed away um, that I'm now using. Oh, I love that. And so, yes, I mean, it is part of, um, it was part of wanting to feel connected to her. And then also I just kind of fell in love with it. I mean, she taught me how to cross stitch and how to, to knit. Remember, there's some pictures of me as a young kid and her showing me how to cast on. And, yes. And all of that. Uh, yeah, my, the same grandma for me, she taught me how to knit. She used to make us these jumpers, me and my cousins, with like, you know, scenes on them. Sort of like, I remember having a sort of green and blue one with a frog fishing a, on a pond. Or another one was like a white one with a black and white cat with a red bow tie. I mean, <laughs> probably really awful. But, you know, in the 80s, <laughs> they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some gorgeous cross stitch that my nana did. There's one that she did with with my C, my the letter of my first name, and she beautifully decorated it, which is hanging up on my my bedroom door, which she created for me when I was sixteen. That I still have. They're pieces of family history, isn't it? Mm. I've got sewing some of the sewing that she's done for me because I've um become a bit bigger I can't fit into anymore but I still haven't got rid of them because you know no, you, they created them you have to me. keep them definitely and then hand them down. yeah I'm, I'm thinking about how I can upcycle them into something else uh, that's a good useful. idea so that'd be another creative yeah use of those garments wouldn't it absolutely so you have this really lovely hobby creative hobby and a creative outlet which supports your own well-being which is really wonderful. But let's go back to, if you don't mind, your work with Talawa, because there's definitely there's some things about Talawa that I think are really important to talk about. Firstly, I read that the name comes from a Jamaican Patwa term, which means gutsy and strong. Is that right? I love that. 
Yes, or, or sometimes small but mighty. Okay. As well, there's 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 multiple definitions, but yes, because the four founders were Jamaican women that founded the company back in 1986. Okay, and that's what theatre can nurture in people, can't it? To be gutsy and be confident and yeah even though you might be small you know you can have a big presence and a big voice I love that but tell us about Talawa tell us about the work of Talawa and how it came about so uh, I joined Talawa in 2020 it is the longest running black theatre company in the country and it's raison d'etre is about supporting black artists to create work that goes onto stage so uh, some of our productions have been kind of big name productions like King Lear with Don Warrington that we did with the Royal Exchange in Manchester that premiered on BBC One on Christmas Day in 2016. And it's still on Amazon Prime to buy or to rent if you're interested. I will have a look. Um, and <laughs> so it's, it's there. And then... Um, when I was talking about the pandemic year, we were commissioned by the BBC to do Talawa Stories, which was three short plays by three amazing writers, new writers for radio, who came through our script submission programme. So we have a script uh, submission programme that we open twice a year where people can just submit scripts to us. We read them, we give them a report. And if any of the scripts that we like, we then further develop them and that's where we find our work to go onto stage so it's part of our pipeline it's a very open process the focus is artists from african caribbean diaspora but global majority artists mm-hmm. um, that can apply for the script reading and then they get feedback from us so we, we we picked six plays we picked six artists to develop three of the artists then went on to bbc radio 4 Talawa's stories and they are online now on BBC Sounds if people want to, to to listen to them. I love that open process that you run and it's so important isn't it because the world of theatre and the arts is often just really closed isn't it and it's about who you know so the fact that anybody can submit a script is really amazing and I guess I'm assuming how you unearth amazing talent that you wouldn't otherwise hear from. Yeah and our process I mean to, to get a, a script that's submitted to Talawa stage is, is, is in the region of two to three years usually but Running With Lions that was done by Sean Carter came through the script reading service also was one of the short plays that we did with Talawa Stories. Archie Maddox, A Place for We, similarly came through the script submission service that was nominated for an Olivier Award back in 2022, won an Off West End Award. And these were people that were new writers. So Talawa is really clear that the current kind of canon of work, the canon that we all kind of talk about, like Shakespeare and Breck and Miller, it, it's not representative of the wider ecology of the UK. And so there's a thing that we're trying to do, which is to is to add new work to that traditional British canon 
off work. I know not all the writers I've said were British, but mm. the, the idea that we're, we're to this traditional canon of work, that we're trying to add other names into it. Because it's really important that the work that's shown on stage actually reflects the kind of wider ecology of who the UK is and who we look at. It's, it's a reflection of the people in this country. It's a reflection of a period of time. It's a reflection of a culture. And it's important that everybody gets a chance to, to reflect their culture onto stage or onto radio or TV or film. So we did, we worked with an amazing, this was before my time, but Michael, who's the artistic director, worked with an amazing writer called Nicole Leckie that created a piece of work called Super Ho that ended up then went on tour, did various great things. And then fast forward five years later, it, it's on BBC Three as Mood, which is a TV series. I think it premiered at the beginning of this year, I think, or the, the end of last year. Okay. So it's so the pipeline that we're creating is is we're creating writers directors supporting artists to be able to, to, to play not just in theatre but into other art forms because as you quite rightly pointed out Laura our industry is still notoriously closed mm. and a lot of people are doing a lot of work to try and open it up and there are pathways into our industry but I do think it's gotten harder and I think we, we have to be mindful and really proactive about well who gets those opportunities and and Talawert has absolutely made it its mission to support kind of black british artists mm. um, in 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 theatre so Talawa was and is filling a really important gap and providing the space for black voices and stories to be heard and about the black british experience and for talent to shine where it Otherwise, there was little or no opportunity. And you provide opportunities both for established and emerging talent, as we've just talked about. Um, and I, I feel like maybe we should pick up back up on this point of what you see on theatre and on stage and on TV and on the radio, reflecting fully the society that we live in and... Maybe you could talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about what it's like if you grow up as a black person and you're not seeing anybody who looks like you and you're not seeing yourself in in the you know in what's put in front of you, I guess as a child and as an adult, you're not seeing black faces on TV. I know it's much better now, but and obviously Tala has done a huge amount of work and many others have to change that. But can you tell, can you talk about that? Yeah. So my family background is that my dad was in the military and we used to often move as a child between the UK and Germany, often other two places that we would be. And because of the nature of his job and the nature of where military bases tend to be, they were often in predominantly neighbourhoods that, that didn't have people that looked like me or my mum. Mm. And the constant othering that I felt growing up, and I didn't know what that was until recently, 
like what what is that mm-hmm. thing but very much feeling that I didn't belong or I never saw faces that represented me and that kind of definitely was the case in film or the representation you would see would be a caricature of who your culture was or mm. the people and I think this is really important the people telling your stories weren't people that had ever experienced your your lived experience or your stories right and that's where you end up with something that's very sensational rather than something that's real or, or mm. rather than something that's r- rooted in in being authentic Talawa spends a lot of time putting stories on stage that are authentic mm. and they're authentic because they're coming from people's lived experiences they're coming from writers experiences of the world and their unique point of view of being a black person in the UK what does that mean what does that look like and I think it's important to say that although we talk about black theatre as a thing Tallow's work does not sit in a world where it's only just black people Mm -hmm. Tallow's work exists in the real world so on stage that reflects the real world and originally when the company was founded it was about main stage roles giving black artists experience of main stage roles because they weren't getting Mm -hmm. that and that's where the company started now that has absolutely expanded to not just be about that but it's about every experience so we train facilitators we work with drama therapists we we it, it's all about the holistic experience for an artist mm. sorry I slightly went off point but going back to your point about what it what it feels like not to have representation there it feels lonely Mm. And it and it also makes and it also makes you feel like you're not represented in the world. It it does it does feel incredibly lonely. And as I said, I spent a lot of time kind of growing up in spaces that were mainly white spaces and not feeling like there's space for me. Mm. And and you end up being othered or exotic. You know, I I kind of one of my one of my memories is growing up as a child is people touching my hair. Mm. like petting me like I'm an animal like people going oh your hair's your hair's all kind of fuzzy let me just oh does things stay in your hair if I put something in it you know Mm. just just really kind of a lack of of sensitivity or or kind of of cultural awareness that I think nowadays is a lot better but I, I I also for me representation like really good representation isn't just about the visual it's also about the type of person that they are it's about you know what class do they they sit in the kind of social economic group what's been their life experiences because on the face of it if if I was to use an example on the face of it our cabinet looks very diverse but it's not they're all mainly privately educated Mm. that is not the experience that's only the experience of seven percent of the people in this country what about the other 93 percent of the people in this country so to me representation has to be better than being superficial it has to be real and it's not about ticking every box it's about what's Mm. appropriate for the story that you're trying to tell and I, I think that when 
you spend a lot of time not seeing yourself, it has an impact on your identity and on your impact on your self-worth. And so uh, what makes me happy now looking at things is that it is no longer a unique thing to see someone like Idris Elba like headlining a main um, a film. It's not seen as something that is unique anymore, and long may it be the case. But we're still, you know, breaking down walls. I think of the example of Barbie and uh, mm. uh, uh, Greta, what's her surname, who directed it. Um, she's the first female director to to have a film that that turns over a billion pounds, like has hit that wow. kind of box office but that's 2023 that's that's so we're still we've got still have too many firsts first this first that too many of that when it becomes common place then we'll know we, we don't have to be so kind of like where's the representation and to me the only way that we make that better is better access more inclusive policies and, and a more holistic approach to how we support people I want to make this connection, Carolyn, if I may then, as this is the Creative Health Podcast, between the the need to provide these opportunities and the reasons why we need to provide these opportunities, not just for black communities, but other marginalized communities as well, to have a voice, is because of this really strong connection between people's life experiences and their mental health and well-being and you mentioned when you were talking about your own experiences about you know feelings of loneliness for example and we know there are direct links between race and ethnicity and health in the UK and in other countries and there are greater health inequalities for example within black communities and though that's caused by multiple factors for example, there are higher rates of mental health and type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and obesity, and those are really big things. And so I wondered whether Talawa Theatre makes direct connections between the work it's doing and the health and well-being of Black people and Black communities. Is well-being through the art something the company is directly addressing and if so how so talawa is doing a lot of work in the in in the well-being space but it's more what i'd say at the back end of it rather than necessarily directly on stage although i would caveat that by saying that we did a series of films called tales from the front line which was around in some cases, mental health, but it was basically about frontline and key line workers, black frontline and key line workers, key workers' experiences during the pandemic, because we very much felt like it, they weren't being represented in, in, in the wider media. So we have done work that would address certain issues, but we don't necessarily go, this is about mental health we, it, it's it's a more holistic thing about this it, mm. it's like this is a piece of work that we've created 
that's on this subject that we think will interest you. We are working on an 18-month to three-year program which is supporting artists, participants and our staff around their well-being. At the moment, we're doing a consultation. We're at the very beginning of the process doing a consultation, working with an amazing woman called Carol Cumberbatch um, from the Artist Wellbeing Company. And we're looking at how to create a program that would support staff and artists and participants as they work with or for Talawa. What we've noticed is from the pandemic, from the reinvigoration of the Black Lives Matter movement and people now being more open about how difficult it is to be black in spaces often. That actually there's a burden that black people, global majority people have to carry that you can't ever put down by the nature of of the colour of our skin, a burden that we never asked for, nor do we want. And actually, kind of sick of, I'd I'd really, really not want to have to talk about this anymore. But the fact of the matter is, is, as you quite rightly said, Laura, it's still a problem. And so we're addressing that by thinking about the support that we provide people as they work with us. And how can we make sure that that is support that is wanted, is, is useful, is, 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 is mindful? So, for example, we're doing a bit of piloting this year with our community engagement project. So we have a, a young company and we're doing a project called Our Croydon. We have drama therapists that are working in, that, in those spaces, supporting the participants and artists in that, in that programme. So we're thinking, so we're working with drama therapists to figure out, okay, how, how do we support the process? Because unfortunately, like with our Croydon, for example, we're working with older generation Jamaican people and the Windrush scandal is, is still a trauma that they're carrying. Mm. And, and actually sometimes with the best will in the world, you may not want to be talking about trauma. You may be wanting to do something really joyful and not anything to do with that, but people are people and they carry everything with them into the space. So you have to look after them because you don't know what would necessarily trigger somebody. You know, when I talk about emotional intelligence and creativity, performing arts allows you to explore really difficult issues and tricky topics, which is amazing. Because it, it allows you to do that what if exercise. It allows you to kind of interrogate topics that are really hard. But that also has a cost more often than not to the artist. And it's like, well, how do we make sure that we're not mining trauma and we're not mm. damaging people while, while going through this creative process? This is all so interesting. And I love that you are working with a drama therapist. I know people who work in that field. And often they're working kind of one-to-one, but to have a sort of in-house resident therapist is, is amazing. And, I, and like you said, just somebody to be there and, and for your organisation to be developing this culture of, of support. Obviously, you've always been about supporting people, but I guess there's a shift to me it sounds like there's a shift a little bit from 
just supporting people's career development yes to supporting them as people and providing that safe space for them which is fantastic and you you've already touched on actually um because I was going to ask you about your relationship with Croydon locally so you're you're based in Croydon is it Fairfield Halls yes Yes. that's right and so we're we're a resident company yes and so have you always had a really strong connection with the community there and done work with with the local community has that always been part of your work when we moved from Old Street because our landlords decided to, to to sell the building we were looking for our new home and there was a process of kind of research and Fairfield Halls was brought up to us as an option by the council. How about Croydon? And we did an entire kind of case study around what we thought would be the best place to be. And we decided Croydon was the best place to be. Croydon's got the kind of largest population of black people in the entire country is based in Croydon. It's a really interesting borough. It has quite a transient nature because of of Luna House. The Windrush scandal, unfortunately, originated in in that space. But it's a really, Croydon's a really interesting place. It's almost like a town inside of a city. It has like an insider-outsider culture. And we moved there in 2019. And then obviously the pandemic scuppered our launch of Mm. us being there. And so over the last 18 months, we've really been looking at how do we embed ourselves into the community. This year is the London Borough of Culture. Yes. Um, which Talawa is is supporting it as being one of the delivery partners for two projects, recognition by Amanda Wilkins and Rachel Nanyengo, and then our Croydon, which is a National Heritage Lottery project um, that's been funded by them to in, find untold stories in Croydon. And there'll be an exhibition in autumn for a couple of weeks around various areas in Croydon which I hope we'll be able to invite the listeners to come and experience and, and come to see what Croydon's doing. It's it's a great place. I've fallen in love with it. Tallow has fallen in love with Croydon. It, it has, it, it's just such a unique place with unique people who just care a lot, but also in the same vein are like, are, are, are non-apologetic about who they are. Just kind of beautiful. Mm. So it's 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 still about putting down roots. We're engaging with the with, with with across communities, but as with any kind of engagement, it's all about trust and it's all about taking the time to get to know people and for people to get to know you and trust you and and your values. And so yeah, it's 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 um it'll be it'll be a couple more years yet before I'd say yes we're. Talawa are Croydonites through and through, but <laughs> but I think we're getting there. And Talawa is a touring company, so we're still touring work. That's still who we are and what we do. But having a base where we can also have a, a, a more engaged conversation with, with communities that we want to work with also feels really important. And we've been, you know, we've been really warmly welcomed by 
acroidolites. Oh, by the, that's really great. By, by, the, by the acroidolites, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've come to the end of my questions, Carolyn, and it's been so interesting. I, you know, your story is really interesting and inspiring for people to listen to, I think. And then the work of Talawa is just incredible and so important. And you're providing this space and this platform and these opportunities for black actors, but also people who want to enter the creative world doing other things, whether that's, you know, backstage type things and facilitation and your the company is is addressing things head on but in a very protective and nurturing way and you know you're dealing with very joyful things which creativity should be but also addressing really hard topics that need to be talked about so I just want to thank you so much for coming on Creative Health Podcast and being so open and so generous with your experience and your thoughts and your ideas and your life. Um, It's been a real joy to talk to you. And um, I just want to say thank you again. Thanks, Laura. It's been great to talk and, and kind of reflect, actually. I don't often get the opportunity to reflect. So it was great to be able to just reflect on my experiences and to talk about the things that I'm really passionate about. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe, rate and review and share it with your friends and networks. Follow the show on Instagram at creativehealthpod and via the website creative-health.co.uk. This episode has been edited by Tom Double. Creative Health Podcast has been supported through Kent County Council's Arts Investment Fund. In the next episode, I discuss how learning 12 crafts in 12 months supported artist Alexia Gazzi on her journey to sobriety. Mm -hmm.